the Staff and Graph podcast. This is weird. My lock's been drilled, so I open the door and my steering wheel is missing. Inlinks are salad. You know what? You're trying very hard not to get sued. You can have all the talent in the world skating around, but if you don't have a goaltender, it does not matter. Team tidy business, baby. Welcome to the Stafford Rap Podcast. Um, I am Mike Stevens. Across from me is Rachel Dory. Rachel, how are you doing? I'm doing well, man. How are you? I'm doing good, you know, just chilling, having a having a good time. This is my third podcast in a row of today. So, you know, we are we are ripping and rolling. Uh, no one should ever have to hear my voice this much, but here we are. You got a good podcast voice though. Oh, thank you. I got I got the face for radio. Everyone's told me that. It's 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 perfect. I mean, it's better than people calling me Batman, which I get a lot. That's sounds like a compliment to me, but you know. <laughs> You would think that that's a compliment. Definitely a compliment. Um, all right, I'm Rachel. Great though, because Penelope is here, which mm-hmm. is my dog niece. Um, yeah, Rachel. My, Rachel's sister's dog. Yeah, which is the cutest dog, and we'll post the picture to Twitter. But she yeah. is our podcast guest somewhat today. Um, yeah, so she's great. We get to hang out, and that means there are currently three dogs in the house, which means it's a super quiet house, and there's no ruckus being caused at all. No shenanigans or, or, you know, no rascals going around. It's great. Rachel, let's hop into some hockey, shall we? Yeah. Let's do it. So, you know, you would, you would think, you know, the expectation for us would be that we start the show with the Ryan O'Reilly trade, you know, it, it was the biggest thing that happened, but no, because, you know, because we're not, we're not typical, you know, Eastern bias here. <laughs> we're not, we're not, you know, a, a Leafs net. Or uh, 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 Toronto Sports Network, as as very well educated um, uh, Edmontonians like to say. We're going to talk about Connor McDavid hitting a hundred points in the uh, middle of February. We can throw February. Vancouver people in there too. Uh, Vancouver, like. yes. We're going to talk about Connor McDavid hitting a hundred points in the middle of February, which is just an absolutely mutant, inhuman type thing to do. Um, he's incredible. He took him fifty six games to get a hundred points. That's almost two points per game. Just absolutely bonkers. Um, uh, Leon Draisaitl is second in, in NHL points, uh, and he's twenty points behind Connor McDavid. Just like we've, ne- I, I don't think in our lifetimes we've ever seen something like this. Yeah, this is ridiculous, and it's it's one of those things where there is a part of me. Okay, we've talked about how much we want Edmonton to make the playoffs, and we'll get to that in a couple of seconds. Mm-hmm. But I kind of want Edmonton to miss. Because Connor McDavid is winning the Hart Trophy regardless. When yes. you are leading the league in scoring by 20 points in February, like, you're a mutant. Like you said, you're just an absolute mutant. There is a non-zero chance this guy finishes the season with over 150 points, which hasn't been done since Mario Lemieux. Like, like I hate to bring this to a negative space, but, like, this is a damning indictment on Ken Holland. That, like, the fact that you have a player that is is making history and you're on the playoff bubble? Come on! Yeah, I mean, the fact, like, he has 101 points in 56 games. He's on pace for 73 power play points, which would be the most all-time in a season behind anybody not named Mario Lemieux. Yeah, just insane. So, b- basically, he would have more power play points in a season than 
anybody not named Mario. So that includes Gretzky, Ovechkin, uh, Sid, Yager, like, you name it. And obviously power plays are not, the like, they're different in the modern era than they were back then. Like, they had to create a rule because Gretzky kept scoring on the power play. So, like, oh, like, we need to end this, like, power mm. play thing. Um, but to have, like, when you're in the same discussion as Mario Lemieux for multiple reasons, you're a mutant because Mario Lemieux was an absolute mutant. And so, I mean, is he not just, like, so fun to watch right now? Oh, it's incredible. And, like, the fact, like, this, above anything else, should not even give you a second hesitation that the Oilers should be all in. Like, this is, like, you have, you could take away a guy who has 101 points in 56 games in the middle of February. You could take him away, render him, like, that he doesn't, you know, like, take that points away, and you would still have the NHL's highest leading score on your roster. That you cannot be anything other than all in. We should be, like, the next time we talk, Eric Carlson should be a, an Edmonton Oiler. Or, or Jacob, Jacob Chikrin. Chikrin. Yeah. Yeah. One of those two. Like, you need to be all in. It is, like, the, this Oilers team, and we were talking about on the THN pod today, like, you know, of teams you would hate to face if you were in the wild card. Like, like a, you know, any a team could go through 82 games of just absolute hell, you know, like injuries, back-to-backs, travel, all that. You know, get the top spot in the Western Conference. And their reward could be dealing with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl in the seven game series or Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr. Yeah. (laughs) What a great, uh, what a great playoff format we have, but no, it's like the Edmonton Oilers are, I mean, you like we've, you have two of the best players in the entire league, two players who are, who are just absolutely setting, you know, who are setting point records left and right. It's, it's incredible. You need to surround them with the talent to succeed. You need to be all in this year. This is the season where you can win the Stanley cup, I mean, what else? Like, Conor McDavid just scored 101 points in 56 games. What other, like, statement do you need? Yeah, and it's it's not like he is abysmal or anything either. Like, he's winning the minutes he's on the ice. Mm-hmm. The issue that you have is if you removed Conor McDavid from that team, like you said, you'd still have, like, the top league's top scorer. But, like, there is a non-zero chance that they're just as bad as, like, San Jose, maybe. Because... Like, they're just that bad everywhere else. And yes, Zach Hyman's having a great year. Yes, Ryan Nugent Hopkins is having a great year. But, like, let's call let's call it what it is. They're having great years because of who they're playing next to. Zach Hyman is not on pace for 100 points if, like... If, like, Derek Ryan is his number one center. Yeah, you know? or, like, Jonathan Taves is his center. Or, or Barrett Hayton's his center. Like, come on, yeah. guys. That's, that's not how that works. And so, for me, I look at it... The Evander Kane, I mean, you can't help that he got stepped on. Like, that's not an injury-prone thing. That is, like, a fluke, almost lost his hand thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so if he comes back and is healthy, uh, he's day-to-day right now, um, I think that that'll be an, a nice boost. Edmonton has a great top six, but their defense core is awful. Yeah, like, they need it, they need help, seriously. Yeah, so to me, I look at Jacob Chikrin. I also like Shane Gostaspair as a puck-moving defenseman. Um, they needn't be spending on Vladislav Gavrikov. Like, and you know they will. Oh, I. you could probably get Gostaspair and Chikrin for like a little bit more than what it would cost you to get Gavrikov, and that's ridiculous to me. Like, if you're going to give up a first, a fourth, and a fifth, or a first, a third, and a fourth to get Gavrikov, you might as well give up a first... And Xavier Borgo, Reed Schaefer, and like salary 
to and like Tyson Berry to give to get Jacob Chikrin. It's unbelievable. And and Shane Gosses Bear. Like you might as well at that point, right? And at least then you're getting two like good defensemen. <laughs> I I don't get how Vlaslav Gavrikov's price has gotten to this point. He's not a right shot. He doesn't put up points. You know, like he, his his numbers, like his possession numbers aren't crazy. You know, he hasn't won a cup. Like I, I don't understand how this is a guy who everyone's like, and he's and, and he's a pending unrestricted free agent. I don't get how everyone's like, okay, well, you know, definitely like definitely time to 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 spend a first and a third for Vladislav Gavrikov. I don't get how that price got inflated to the level it is. I would sooner spend a second round pick on Luke Shen. I actually would like if I was Edmonton. And I was looking for that style of defenseman because Gavrikov and Shen are basically the same style of defenseman. I would just be looking at Shen. One, he's one. Two, like you, you've seen how he performs in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. No one has seen how Vladislav Gavrikov performs in the playoffs. Like he performed well in like the bubble series against. That's Toronto. not even a real yeah year, but like Luke Shen is going to cost you twenty five percent of the price mm-hmm. and is going to be. Almost as good, if not better, than how Vladislav have they not Gavrikov. traded Luke Shen yet? I don't get it. I think honestly, and like I can't even believe I'm about to say this. They want to um, resign him. N- no, not that. I I actually think that they're waiting for the shoe to drop with Gavrikov because then they're hoping <laughs> that they're going to be able to ask for more for Shen. Which you know what? I will give them credit for. Smart. Yeah, that is smart. Um, all right, th- there was Rachel. This might be you know news to a lot of hockey fans. So there was an outdoor game. Uh, this weekend and it was a good one you know like the the apparently the atmosphere was incredible um you know it was a real sort of like college football type atmosphere everyone seemed to have a great time who was there that was completely unbeknownst to just about everyone else um in in the world in the hockey world like keep in mind we you know my both you and i we cover hockey for a living my job is to to know this stuff and i say again like unless unless it was reminded unless i i was following someone who was there I uh, uh, on Twitter, which I was, I would have not known that this this was happening. This was this is maybe the worst marketed NHL products I've ever seen. Like like with how much how good this could have been from a marketing perspective and how little effort they put into it. Yeah. So let's talk instead of like dumping on the NHL for like how poorly this is marketed. Uh, let's talk about how this could be marketed better so that more people know that it's happening. Because I yeah, feel so. Like- how could it be? Yeah, so I feel like I'm going to put my, like, little sports business cap on for a second. Um, I think that those HBO series that they were doing, um, remember, like, Mm 24-7? I think those are really good for the Winter Classic. Oh, they were the best. I remember, like, oh, man. You have ESPN and TNT, but I believe most of these games are on ESPN. Mm -hmm. Um, And so use the power of those broadcasting networks Mm -hmm. to do a show like that. It doesn't have to be like an hour long, but like if people from ESPN produced like a half hour thing where they're following the lead up and they're going and getting stories, like most of the draw to this, the, the outdoor games was like the story behind it. So it's like, it's at, I believe North Carolina state is where, yeah. yeah, Carter Finley stadium. It was awesome. Um, that is known for having a great atmosphere. And so, like, I think 
the way you could market it is do a series like that. But then, like you said, it had this like college atmosphere. The University of Michigan was involved there um, doing something. And so promote that, promote partnerships, um, because they're also like broadcast on the same networks. I think that you need to do a better job of telling the stories because the stories are what draw people in. And if there's no story and it's just another hockey game, like, am I going to tune in to watch Carolina and Washington on a regular day? Like, no, I'm not going to do that. If it's an outdoor game, okay, now I might be. But if you don't tell me a story for the outdoor game, then, like, you don't get me to care about it. The, the extent to which I cared about this particular stadium series was seeing Pete Blackburn's tailgating party story. Mm. Now, here's the thing. Those those HBO 24-7 documentaries, um, uh, whether it was Pens and Caps to start, then it was Rangers and Flyers, then it was Leafs and, and Red Wings, like, like that, those were... Um, those were those were so good at those were some of the best NHL marketing products we've ever seen. Like those were so good at getting people to care because you 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 pull back the layer and you you get these players eventually who are like, you know, caught off guard, who are candid, who are giving you their real selves. Um, you get to see like, for example, like, you know, I write about hockey for a living. I wake up every morning, I watch the highlights of every I watch the highlight packs like the game in tens or whatever on a on, on YouTube. And then also like a lot of teams do these behind the scenes things themselves. You know, I like the, the Bruins do a great one behind the B, um, the, uh, uh, becoming the Leafs wild. The have the blueprint. Yeah. The Leafs don't like, they, they, they don't come out with them like very, like they come out with them sporadically. Like they're doing long form ones now. So they'll come out like once every two months, which is a bit of a bummer. But like the Bruins, for example, like they'll churn out one, one every like two weeks or one every month. Um, and I agree with you. Yeah. Like the behind the B is really good. What if we got something that was um, maybe not like team produced, but like imagine- no, like it's a neutral person, like it's yeah. It, like, so yeah. like Andre Shvechnikov has a great personality. I've seen it on TikTok. Um, a bunch of the Caps guys, like Nicholas Backstrom's, doing weird TikTok trends. Like they should be like. Like what I was going to say with that is that like I, after I watch the highlights, I'll watch like an episode or something of those and it'll get me like excited to write about hockey and talk about hockey because you get to see the personalities and like the effort and the pain that goes into this. And also like, do you think about some of the most viral moments that have come from hockey recently? The Ilya Brizgal of, you know, why you have to be <laughs> mid the Bruce Boudreaux, like 12 F bombs in like 30 seconds. Which I've actually like, it's so wild that that is how people see him because yeah. I think in like the nine months that i worked with him i think i heard him swear like that once and then there's also <laughs> the the like good one randy good one like those are all from the lead up to the uh, uh to the state or to the, the winter classic it makes it like a big thing a big deal and you and you develop these characters that it's like reality tv like you develop these characters they end up rooting for so then when the game actually happens you're so intent on just like watching this game so you can see your favorite character you know do well or see what happens and like it's such a missed opportunity that that they don't you know just put the like put the effort put the funds put put you know whatever it is into creating these things because these are two teams that have a lot going on with them. They have, you have Alexander Ovechkin and Nicholas Backstrom and a, and a Capitals team that's trying to claw out, you know, some more, like a couple more years of relevancy before there's their one before the greatest goal scorer of all time, 
um, retires, you know, and then you have a Canes team that is extremely talented, that's going for it, but is, you know, kind of fumbled recently and is trying to get over the hump and you have a charismatic coach in Rod Brindamore and a lot of good stars. Like you can really build this up and really make it so then when the stadium series happens, it's basically like the bachelor finale where you get to see, you know, all your, all your favorite characters like really come to a head. And yet it just doesn't like they didn't do it. And so there's no emotional connection. There's no sort of, there, there's no, um, impetus they on me to give wa- anybody a reason to watch it yeah there's no impetus on me to watch this game other than to maybe tune into the start to see what the spectacle's like and then be like all right well i'll just catch the highlights later like it just it doesn't it's such a bummer they should treat this treat this like a reality show build these characters up so people are so compelled to watch this and they get a really cool insight into so, into playing in a unique situation i just had something kind of like hit me mm. a little bit the most popular shows on Netflix are those like weird reality shows, right? Yeah. So I'm talking like Too Hot to Handle, Love is Blind, The Perfect Match, like all that, right? Mm-hmm. Make the NHL a soap opera. Like when when you're doing this kind of stuff, I'm not saying like generally speaking, but why are we not getting behind the scenes stuff like for Trade Deadline? Why is there not an NHL produced thing that allows teams uh, allows like a behind the scenes i'm like okay this ryan o'reilly trade that just happened or the timo meyer trade that's about to happen Mm -hmm. like film it and then after the trade happens release it so people can see like timo meyer saying bye to his teammates ryan o'reilly getting the key to the rink and packing up noel achari's stuff like that is all stuff that people would love to see. And I'm not saying, like, reveal trade secrets. First of all, once the trade's been made, it doesn't matter. Like, who cares? And so you can use that stuff and release it to make it kind of like a reality show so that it it garners that interest. I think people would want to see those personalities. Why do we not have a video of the first time Ryan O'Reilly met Sheldon Keefe? Or when he was going in and meeting Matthews and Martyr, like I, I saw the Leafs. So I was there when I like I was the only person there to see him arrive in the building. I filed my story. I was walking out, and out of the corner of my eye, I see a guy in a jean jacket walking through a door, and then and then all the PR staff like rushing to go meet him. Um, and it was Ryan O'Reilly and Nolachari. Um, and so, and also like the blueprint, like the Leafs sort of own camera crew was like hovering around him. So, you know, that that will be the four, like the focal point of their next blueprint episode. Um, but you're right. Like the, look what drive to survive has done. We say this every time, but like, look what drive oh to survive God, has amazing. done to F1. They, they now have one for tennis. Um, I can't remember what it's called. Like breakpoint. Break I think. Point, and yeah. they have a golf one, which is amazing. So like do something like that. Or even, even if it's not for the whole, even if it's not for the whole league, like just do it for the outdoor game. The, the, the HBO 24, seven documentaries, I'll say it again. We're so formative for so many people, specifically in my age, um, in our age, like watching this, it produced so many viral moments that that produced viral moments before viral was really a thing. Like imagine, imagine what would happen if if we get a Bruce Bo- if we got that Bruce Boudreaux clip now. It would be remixed into it like a TikTok. It would be really remixed into like a TikTok cover, like you know, in a heartbeat. Like or or Ilya Brizgalov would become like our woke social media king or something like that. Like like stuff like that. They need the NHL needs that stuff. Um, so yeah, they absolutely need to put more put some effort into 
in, in, into those documentary series. Like we need to bring those back. Those are really those are really interesting fans. The MLS seen. is doing it with Apple yeah. TV now. Every single team has to have like good behind the scenes content and like rivalry series stuff. And I think it'll be interesting to see kind of like as a case study, like what that does. But if you look at um, the all or nothing that they did with the Leafs, but like, yeah, but like not completely neutered. It, 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 they've done it with Arsenal, with Manchester City. There's a Bayern Munich one that's like not all or nothing, but it's very similar in that vein. Um, and like, I hate to tell you guys, but like, there is nothing that an NHL team that is doing that is more secretive or groundbreaking than what any of the big football teams in Europe are doing. Those people make billions and billions of dollars a year mm-hmm. and win trophies. And this is the other thing. And I said this last night. Pro sports teams sit up here and act like they're doing this groundbreaking stuff that is contributing to society and it's so secretive. They act like they're like the Department of Defense mm-hmm. that's like trying to thwart a nuclear threat or something. I'm like... Your little analytical model that you're doing or like what you think of a hockey player or like who is on a trade block or like whatever is so trivial to society. Like if I said to you, Mike, um, you have two options. One, I'm going to release all of your banking information. Mm -hmm. Two, that'll just make everyone. I'm going to tell everybody that Phil Kessel is your favorite hockey player. Which one would you be more scared about? Probably my banking information, just so people can see how poor I truly am. But you, you know, know what I'm saying? Like, yes, we have pro sports teams acting like they have the nuclear codes, and it's like, calm down. Yes, like, exactly. Chill. Like, like all or nothing was a really was a, a great idea because it it was going to get we we could potentially have seen a you know like a behind the scenes look at a really really like just unique point in sports and human history. Um, and, and for that club in, in particular, like for what, who the Leafs were at that time, like, you know, just like a really interesting point in, in franchise history. And it just didn't do anything. Like it, it was, we, we sat through that entire five hour thing in a row and did a live stream. And it was like, you could tell that it was just completely neutered. So that's a yeah. bummer. But, um, speaking of broadcasters though, and this is a big one that could impact like, you know, a lot of like NHL rights is that diamond, uh, uh, you know, Diamond Sports that that runs Bally Sports, it missed a huge $140 million interest payment. Now, Bally took over um, took over a lot of uh, uh, the, the regional Fox broadcasts, uh, uh, or all of the regional Fox broadcasts, um, when Fox was sold to Disney. So they have they have like local in the states. They have local NHL, MLB, and ML, NBA, and MLB rights, and their their um, parent company, Sinclair Broadcast Group and Diamond, they missed. A $140 million interest payment. Um, that this is insane. Like they they there, there's so much there's so much to go in here. Um, just because like this could hang the 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 regional US rights for the NHL uh, in the balance. Yeah, so obviously we don't have a ton of information right now, but I think it's important to point out because it could impact the salary cap. Mm-hmm. NHL teams um, likely won't be paid the agreed upon amount, which means the hockey related revenue will not be the number that it was kind of expected that it would be. Mm-hmm. And that's an issue because obviously that like everyone's kind of expecting this like salary cap bump over the next few years. Um, and that might be a little bit more difficult um, depending on what happens here. Um, this is also why I am not remotely in favor of like regional broadcasts that don't have some level of of 
um, protection via the league. Like, I think that everything should be available kind of somewhere. And that's why, like, I think the Apple TV thing in MLS is going to be a really interesting concept mm-hmm. um, because now they own the rights. And so every like we're not worried about some regional broadcast because if they don't have it, we know Apple TV has it. So it's almost like the NHL needs like kind of like a conglomerate that like oversees it in case stuff like this happens where it's like if you want a regional broadcast, then go ahead. You can do that. But like we're going to have an Apple broadcast and we're going to have a main broadcast for people out of market. And then what does that do? It makes it so that you don't have blackouts. And what does that do? It oh, makes your sport more accessible. So I just think generally speaking, this is a, a kind of a bit of a unique opportunity for some restructuring and maybe for everyone, not just the NHL, but um, the MLB as well, less so the NBA to look itself in the mirror. Um, but there are going to be salary cap ramifications. So I just, I, I thought that that was like kind of, I guess, important to mention because maybe instead of the salary cap going up 5 million, it only goes up like three on that on that note, um, the piece de resistance here, Rachel, you might as well talk, tackle it. The Ryan O'Reilly trade, um, uh, Ryan O'Reilly and Noel Achari to Toronto in exchange and for And Josh Pilar. And Josh Pilar, yeah, um, in exchange for a 2023 first, a, I believe a 2024 second, um, a 2023 third that was Ottawa's in the Murray trade, um, and then a conditional fourth to Minnesota so they could launder 25% of, uh, of, of O'Reilly's Salary cap uh, or cap hit. So now the Leafs have Noel Chari and Ryan O'Reilly, and Ryan O'Reilly is at one point eight seven five million dollars, um, leaving the Leafs with you know a bunch of cap space left, uh, comparative or uh, relatively, I guess, um, to potentially even make another move ahead of the trade deadline. I mean, this is this is just like this is the biggest. Um, we were talking about it at morning skate um, when O'Reilly was in the air heading to Toronto to play that night. This is probably their biggest midseason trade acquisition since Brian Leach, maybe in like 2004. Uh, Oh yeah. Okay. Dion. So, so, but that was like 2009. Yeah. Like we were 13. We were, I remember I was, I was interviewed on global news um, when it happened because I was coming (laughs) to the hockey practice and they wanted to get a bunch of kids opinions. So I was, I was given my opinion on Frederick (laughs) Schustrom on camera that, 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 that footage exists somewhere. Person that you absolutely heard of. Prior oh, I, I had. I liked Freddie Schuster. I played with. I played as him in Shell, like uh, over my friends' house a ton. I thought he was going to be a great defensive player. But no, this is look. This is huge. This is basically. I mean, well, we'll talk more in depth. But just from the the you know from the get go, this seems to be the quintessential playoff piece the Leafs needed. Ronald O'Reilly brings everything they seem to have needed. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of people be like, oh, Nick Foligno this, Nick Foligno, no. That's not, it's not even in the same realm, like, was shut Nick up. Was Nick Foligno up for the Selkie the year no. before they acquired him? Absolutely not. So was Nick Foligno a point-per-game like, player? Like, no. Was Nick, did Nick Foligno win a Stanley Cup? No. Did he win a Conn Smythe? No. Is he in the Selkie? Did he win the Selkie and then is also in the Selkie conversation for, like, every season he's ever been, like, a, a prime NHLer? No. Like, it's, it boggles my mind and to also, think that people are making this comparison. <laughs> Nick Foligno had muscular injuries. Ryan O'Reilly had a broken foot. And it is now healed. Like, one of those things is not like the other. And um, he was playing with Josh injuries. Levo and yeah. friggin' brand, a washed Brandon Sod. And people are like, why is he putting up points this year? Yeah, and then comes to Toronto, immediately puts up points. Yeah. Um. So here's the... I, I actually think the Noel Achari part of this is getting really looked over. It is. Yeah, um, he's great. Noel Achari... Like, I mean, I, I've i heard it with my own two eardrums. Um, 
is a, he's a player that pretty much every team wants because he is awful to play against. Mm-hmm. He finishes every check. He's stick on puck and body on body. You will come out bruised. He's an excellent penalty killer. He is always in your grill. And, like, he can chip in offensively. And I'm not saying he's going to score, like, 15 goals, but, like, if your fourth-line center scores 10 goals, like, you're pretty thrilled about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really like... One of the big things that a lot of people have been talking about is Toronto's bottom six didn't really have an identity. It was kind of a bit of a hot mess, um, and nobody really knew kind of what it did. And traditionally, a bottom six are... Um, your role players. Obviously, your third line needs to be able to bring a little bit of offense, but you're hoping that the majority of your penalty killers are there. Um, maybe you have like a power play specialist there. You got a face-off specialist. But generally speaking, you kind of hope that they're hard to play against. And so now I really think with the additions of O'Reilly and Achari, it's kind of given the bottom six this identity where um, they all skate really well. Um Pretty much all of them penalty kill. So now you've got Kerfoot who can penalty kill, Achari who can penalty kill, obviously O'Reilly can penalty kill, uh, Yarncroc can penalty kill. And that means that like Tavares and Marner and Matthews and and whoever else, Bunting, don't have to play in the same matchups. And in mm-hmm. some of their cases, they don't have to penalty kill anymore because you've got David Camp and Ryan O'Reilly and Noel Achari and Pierre Engvall who can penalty kill instead. Exactly. And it just like Sheldon Keefe, you could tell he was just giddy about the options he had for his lineup now. Like, oh man, yeah. He was talking about how they'd wanted to shift Tavares to the wing with, uh, for like a couple of years, really. They'd be talking about it, but they just never had the center depth to do it. And now with O'Reilly, they have an insane amount of center, so much center depth that, um, like that Pontus Holdenberg is now in the AHL to continue further developing because they, because, you know, they don't really need him right now. And they think that he can have more, more value, you know, just ripping up the A. And there's also like, have you ever heard a team be like, we lost because we had too many centers? No, exactly. They have so much. Like, you could keep in mind, like, you know, you have the Matthews, uh, uh, you know, Nylander, Bunting line that just really seems to click and they're doing great. Um, but now you have, like, you have you could potentially have another second line like they did that they started this weekend with Ryan O'Reilly, uh, Mitch Marner, and John Tavares, which is incredible. Or... You could put another guy up there, potentially another guy who you go out and, and get, considering that you still have cap space to do it. And then you have a third line of like Ryan O'Reilly, uh, like Pierre Engvall and um, Alex Kerfoot. And at, like Alex Kerfoot. And then your fourth line is what David Kampf, Noel Achari, and uh, I, you know, one of Zach Aston Reese or someone else. Like it's like th- th- that, that top six or that, that even that just that entire forward core is now completely redefined by this. And it's going to bring, you know, internal competition because, you know, these are two, you drop two guys into, into your lineup, you know, without taking away a roster player, like, you know, guys are going to be fighting for spots now. Um, I think there's no more comfortability. There's no more, you know, like potential stagnation. You, you, you now have guys who are going to be competing hard for jobs. This is, this is a winner. It's a huge price, obviously, but like if they don't, if the I actually Leafs- expected it to be more. If really? I'm okay. Well, yeah. if the Leafs don't make the, if the Leafs don't <laughs> at least get past the first round, Dubas isn't even going to be there to be making those picks anyway. So like you, you gotta, like you really do have to put your chips in the table eventually and go like, all right, we're, we're in this. Let's go. So this is my big problem with this entire narrative mm-hmm. is this move is only good if the Leafs make it past the first round. That is revisionist history and it is wrong. Mm-hmm. The Nick Foligno deal was not a good deal from the, day the that it was second made. they pulled the trigger. Yeah, 
that was that was the case. And regardless of whether they won the first round or not, it was a bad deal. Unless he scores the Stanley Cup winning goal, it is not a good deal. The Ryan O'Reilly deal speaks more to process than it does about um, assets. And to me, that is why it is a good deal. Mm-hmm. The process of getting Ryan O'Reilly tells me that Toronto management has identified that their bottom six, which everybody has been screaming about, Mm -hmm. uh, was not good enough. Now it is absolutely good enough. Um, And so, like, I look at it and I go, yes, even if they don't make it past the first round, this was still a good trade because the process of it was correct. If they went out and traded Vladislav Gavrikov for a first, a third, and a fourth, I'd be like, that's a terrible trade, whether they get out of the first round or not. Awful trade. They could win the cup and that would be a terrible trade. Exactly. You can't evaluate trades based on playoff success. That is not how things work. It is revisionist history. And ba- Mark Giordano, that trade last year, did they give up a lot? Yes, they gave up a lot. But guess what? Not even really that much. <laughs> like two seconds? But he's re-signed for probably 30% of what he would have gotten on the open market. Mm -hmm. And he's been an incredibly important piece for them. So not a bad trade. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Ryan O'Reilly remains in Toronto. I don't think it's out of the possibility that Noel Achari remains in Toronto. Um, And so for me, I don't think it's fair to evaluate a trade based on if you win a playoff series or not, especially when you're playing against Tampa or Boston. Like, Come on, you're not playing against Minnesota. You're not playing against LA or Seattle. Like it, it's just not the same. Like six teams in the Eastern Conference have a better points percentage than any team in the West. Mm-hmm. So like I don't want to hear this. Oh, good trade, bad trade, based on playoff success. Like that. Honestly, what that tells me is you don't know how to evaluate a hockey trade, and, and also- you're just lazy. I was actually, you know, like Dubis gave us really interesting insight into into this because, you know, he he's like, I was much, much more comfortable trading the picks than our prospects, you know, because I, you know, like we have we have As prospects. Exactly. We're that we're really confident in there. The, the internal growth uh, of, uh, you know, like he mentioned, it was Fraser Mitten, Nikita Grubiankin, <coughs> um, Matthew Nyes, uh, Topi Niemela, Roni Hervinen, um, And I think there was one more, but I'm forgetting. But like those guys. um they were extremely like, like their developments this year made them like, okay, we're not giving those, these guys up. Like we're, we're willing to trade the mystery box, but these guys are guys that we, we really value. Remember last week when we were talking about Edmonton and I said, unless that player can help you in the next two years, they needn't be kept around. Mm -hmm. The same goes for Toronto. Exactly. First round. Now the first round pick this year could help you in two years. Yet that's a distinct possibility. The rest of those picks are, you're not seeing them for a minimum of five years. Most of those guys, like all of those guys probably aren't going to be in the league until 2026. Yeah. That does not help Toronto's window. So there is no use in trading things that will help you in your window. A la Matthew Nyes, who could literally just play now. Um, Fraser Minton, probably a year or a year and a half away. Uh, Topi Niemelo is going to play pro with the Marlies next year, probably spot duty with the Leafs. We're talking about pieces that can help now. None of the pieces that they traded away for Ryan O'Reilly are going to be in a position where they're going to be meaningful with the exception of that first round pick. 
And the reality mm-hmm. of the situation is, is you have to give to get. And so from a, a wider lens, it's absolutely the right decision because we've been preaching this for Edmonton and the same goes for Toronto. If they are not helping you win with this core, then you do not need it. Yeah, if they got too precious with their prospects, then, you know, whenever this first round pick plays, like Dubas could be midway through his next tenure with another team. Like, it doesn't matter. This this works. This this accomplishes, at least up front, everything the Leafs really needed. Um, they didn't really need that much on, on the blue line, I think. Like, you know, maybe they'll go out and get, like, a bit guy. I don't think they should get a bit guy. I think if, if they are going to upgrade on the back end, it should be a clear upgrade. But, like... This well, is I like, think Luke Shen is a clear upgrade over Justin Hall. Oh, absolutely. I don't like just get Justin Hall off this team. I'm I, I don't care how many analytical articles you throw at me. Like I'm not like I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. It's Cam Sharon. I'm done. Um, but and Cam's actually like Cam has legit knowledge. And I'm not saying Justin he does, Hall's but I'm, I'm I'm done. Like I, I'm not saying Justin Hall isn't an NHL defenseman. He's an NHL no. defenseman. He is not an NHL defenseman on a team that wins the Stanley Cup. Exactly. Like I'm done. Like. I don't care how many how many you know like really thoughtful tweet threads you throw at me like I'm, I'm gonna go boomer here like you know I'm looking at him screwing up and leading directly to goals. Well, that's how I also feel about Jake McCabe. Like everyone's like, yeah. oh, Jake McCabe, this Jake McCabe, that. Um, did you see him in the first nine seconds of that game? Yeah, like Again, it's. Toronto? I don't think Jake no. McCabe should be a guy that they target. But then again, who knows? Anyway, um, I want the Leafs to get Luke Shen. That is that'd be I great. Would trade a third round pick for him. Can you Thank imagine you Rachel? Luke Shen comes back to the Leafs and helps them win a cup after everything. Like if that if that's not an if that's not narrative Christmas, I don't know what is. I still have my Luke Shen jersey. So. Yeah. So hold on to it. Who knows? But anyway, like I think it's important to note like the Leafs a couple of times last year in the playoffs, they got beat on face-off plays. Like remember mm-hmm. that? Yes, absolutely. Okay, they don't have a single center like that plays routine center that takes draws that has less than 52% on draws. Beautiful. Right? And you're t- Ryan O'Reilly is I think like 57% this year. John Tavares is 57%. Matthews is 54%. So, like, you're talking, like, these guys are winning their draws. We're talking, like, not necessarily Bergeron territory for Matthews, but the other two? Yes, absolutely. And so, winning those draws is important because then you get your puck possession. I also think O'Reilly and Achari, they're super versatile. Like, they can play center, they can play wing. Uh, O'Reilly can play up and down the lineup. He could play first line if you need him to he could play second line winger second line center he could play third line center um and so for me like this is a good deal for for a bunch of reasons and i don't really have any any qualms about it yeah absolutely i All right. would have had qualms if that was the price for vladislav gavrikov yeah but um, yeah anyway or jake mccabe like <laughs> The final topic here, it is uh, the trade of Tyler Mott for Julian Gauthier. Basically, there's a conditional seventh in there, but, you know, who cares? Um, Very interesting uh, uh, sort of value play here from Ottawa in the sense that they were able to get a guy. Look, Gauthier had completely fallen out of favor in New York. He's averaging like eight minutes of ice time per game this year. He's in and out of the lineup. You know, they like clearly Gerard Gallant is looking at this player and they're like, we don't really want to use him anymore. And no one in that organization drafted him. Um, he was a former first round pick, uh, 21st overall, I believe in 2018, but you know, like he's 25 now. Um, you know, it's it like at a certain point you got to kind of poop or get off the pot. They got off the pot. Um, they, and they acquired Tyler Mott who played really well for them in the playoffs and, and sort of helped them, uh, uh, last year. So they're getting a known asset back in, in, you know, in the lineup, which is great, but I'm very intrigued to see how Julian Gaultier fits in with uh, uh, with the Sens because he's you know he's a big body he's got that former first round pedigree maybe a fresh start's all he needs. 
Yeah, like I think Julian Gote kind of fits um, Ottawa's timeline a little bit better. He's a, he's similar in age to guys like Brady Kachuk, Tim mm-hmm. Stutzla, Alex Debrinkit, Drake Batherson. He's twenty five. Uh, yeah, so he's he's a little bit older, but you you kind of need those players. So he's like Alex Debrinkit's age, basically. Um, and like with Tyler Mott, he's barely played for Ottawa this year, so he like wasn't really a help, and so. You you knew you were losing Tyler Mott at the end of the year anyway, so you might as well get an asset for him. Um, Julian Gauthier is an NHL player, and the odds of you getting an NHL player with like a fourth or fifth round pick are less than 10%. So regardless of whether Julian Gauthier is a good NHL player or not, he is a 100% sure NHL player, which is more than 90% of what you would have gotten if you just took a mid-round pick. And so for me, I like this deal for Ottawa. They get something that may or may not help them. It's essentially a lottery ticket for somebody that they weren't going to keep. And I, I really like that because I think he's going to look good with a guy like Matthew Joseph. Um, I think as Shane Pinto kind of finds his way, that will also help him. But like, it just, it allows Ottawa to kind of have options that aren't like Austin Watson, basically. And I, Julian Goche is younger, um, and you do want to kind of move in that direction. And so for me, um, I actually liked this trade for both teams. I, I thought it was really well done. Both teams kind of got something that they needed and got rid of something that wasn't going to help them down the line. And so I think both uh, Dorian and Drury deserve uh, credit here because they identified what they needed and what they could give up. And it was kind of a match. And I really enjoyed how a player gets is announced uh, to be scratched for trade-related reasons and then is actually traded within two weeks of when it happens. It, two weeks, like two hours. <laughs> like, is Jacob Chikrin still alive? Like, he, this man has been scratched for trade-related reasons, uh, like for going on I two weeks. Might two be, weeks. I think he might be banged up. I mean, you would have to think so. I have to think so. There has to be a, hip, a hiccup that's going on here because this is this is ridiculous. Like, the guy was scratched for trade-related reasons and has not played in, like, coming up on two and a half weeks. It's nuts. But, yeah, no, I think this is a great move for both teams. Clearly, it fits what each team is trying to make. They didn't give up a ton. Like, it was basically a one-for-one one trade. There's a conditional seventh involved. Who cares? Doesn't um, count. <laughs> doesn't really count. Like, great. This is this is good. Um, I don't know what, mu- what, mu- what much else there is to say about that trade in particular. Um, so on that note, we've reached the end of uh, today's podcast, Rachel. Um, I think this was a great show. We had, we, you know, we got to see Penelope the dog uh, before um before we we recorded you guys didn't get to see that but i did which is great um and uh, that's a mental health boost for mike <laughs> oh a huge mental health boost you know i'm not uh you know that buys me you know another month or so um so <laughs> jesus christ but, um, no but yeah this uh yeah great show rachel cannot wait to be back later this week to talk about hopefully we'll have a jacob chicken trade to talk about then if not who knows but uh you know lots of stuff going on I basically cannot leave my phone in a different room uh, because something might happen, uh, which is then again my favorite time of the year. I agree with you. And we're both getting to cover a game this week together. Which yes, I'm we are on Friday. About. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm super fired up about that. I've got uh, a story coming, uh, which is why I'm going to that game. Um, but yeah, I'm super excited to get to see one of my best friends live his dream out mm-hmm. and kind of just like, around him for the day which that'll be um super fun and i mean yeah this is a good episode i feel like we were pretty positive today i think we were this is great you know so yeah hopefully we can keep this energy moving forward into next week um 
or in, into the final little bit of, of this week. Rachel, always a pleasure. Um, and I will see you in a bit. All right. Enjoy the week, everyone. <laughs>